From The Conversation, this is Politics with Michelle Grattan, a podcast where we hear from politicians and experts on the issues of the day. The federal government this week has released its review of the National Disability Insurance Scheme, and it's done a deal with the states under which they will take more responsibility for providing services for people with disabilities, including in particular for children with minor developmental issues. The aim of the review and the agreement with the states is to put the NDIS on a more sustainable basis. The federal government wants to bring the growth in its costs back to 8% annually by 2026. As things stand, too many people are on the scheme whose needs could be met by other services. Bill Shorten, who's Minister for the NDIS, can lay claim to be the original father of the scheme because when he was a parliamentary secretary in the former Labor government, he pushed hard for a national insurance scheme for those with disability. Now he's in charge of reforming that scheme. He joins us today to talk through the review, which has been led by Bruce Bonnie Hady, an architect of the NDIS, and Lisa Paul, a former senior public servant. Bill Shorten, can we start by you just setting out for our listeners the main changes that will be made to the NDIS? The NDIS is here to stay. It is changing the lives of literally hundreds of thousands of Australians and their families but it has veered off track in the last 10 years. It has become the only lifeboat in the ocean. So that leads me to the first change. When I say it's the only lifeboat in the ocean, what I mean is that if you have a child who's diagnosed with a developmental delay, there's not a lot of support other than the NDIS. So as all parents will, they will do the very best they can to support their kids in any way they can. But the NDIS was never meant to look after all people with disability, just those with significant uh, and permanent disability. So first change, we want to have uh, create a series of services and supports for people whose disabilities wouldn't mean that they would be needing the NDIS, but do need some support. And what is great is that the Prime Minister and the Premiers yesterday agreed to the principle of foundational supports, that is services outside the NDIS, and that they would be funded 50-50. But now a lot of work's got to be done, overseen by treasurers and Council of Financial Relations to see what that means, but amazing progress. Second big change would be to our kids. Um, The actuaries, when they were looking at the scheme, never foresaw that by 2023, nearly 300,000 Australian children would be on the NDIS. Again, that's because we're learning a lot more about neurodivergence and autism. We're becoming a lot better at our diagnosis. What we need to do is provide early intervention supports for children whose developmental delay may not be that profound or that serious, but still needs support. And the other thing which the NDIS has inadvertently done, I think, uh, for the best of intentions, is it provides a lot of hour-by-hour services for kids, but the family's been forgotten. And as we all know, for a child to thrive, the family needs to thrive. So we want to support families a lot more. The nature of this discussion is there's so much more detail, but I'll try and keep it as brief as I can. Uh, Another change which we want to do is to make sure that our home and living support packages are fit for purpose, that they're actually supporting people and giving them the needs they actually require. We want to look at providing shared services on a one to three basis for people who need it. But of course, if the person's needs are greater and need one-to-one care, that will obviously still be the case. We want to make sure the quality and safeguards uh, and 
are working properly by that we have a world in the NDIS where it's grown at such a pace that about 15% of service providers are registered. 85% of service providers are not. And whilst we don't want everyone to have the same level of registration and one size doesn't fit all, we absolutely need to be able to see that there's accountability for the use of NDIS funds, which currently doesn't exist. We also want to, a fifth change which we want to create is that the scheme, I think, had a narrow view of its role in the last few years. In other words, they would provide a payment to a person and then set and forget, don't worry about them. That's not how you run a social insurance scheme. So we want to create navigators. There, a lot of the functions done by current support coordinators and other in the systems will merge into this. It's about helping people once they get their package to make sure that they get the most out of it, that they're getting the information they need. And I think that's a very positive development. The other big change, uh, which I probably should have started with almost, is eligibility for the scheme. We want to make sure that um, it's not just diagnosis which puts you in the scheme, that we look at your disability and then we look at how it affects your daily living and see if the scheme is the right thing to assist you. And so we'll do that through qualified assessors. Um, I think that's a good range of the, the changes. There is quite a bit more happening and 26 recommendations, 139 uh, actions. But the story is, at its heart, we want to put the best interests of the participant. We don't want the NDIs to be the only lifeboat in the ocean. We want to work collaboratively with the disability community uh, and states and indeed the opposition as we work through these changes. And the other thing I should stress is none of this happens overnight. We are talking, the review gives us a very sensible horizon of three to five years. Some changes sooner, some changes later, but all of it in conjunction with people with disability. So tonight, or whenever people are listening to this podcast, parents shouldn't be worrying that their package is immediately going to be changed because of this. Uh, that's not the purpose. Everyone who need has the needs which warrant them to be on the scheme will be on the scheme. Now, it is a, a big report, as you say, mm. with many recommendations. Have you accepted all these in principle at least? That'll be up to ERC and Cabinet. But, yes, we've accepted the direction. Absolutely. Um what we're not going to do is see a game of ping pong where someone does a review, then someone else on their side bats back their response to the review, and then the first side gives their comments to the... No, I'm, we don't have time to waste on that palaver. This review has a lot of integrity to it. Uh, thousands of people have been spoken to, listened to, thousands of submissions read, uh, a lot of research gone into it over a year. Um, I believe this review could be best described as it's the map to the horizon. There may well be some wrinkles we haven't fully foreseen, and we might have to change direction on one or two matters, but the basic directions are set. The specific detail of how we roll things out, well, there's got to be a lot of consultation on that. Now, when you first became minister, you talked quite a lot about the need to crack down on the rorting that was yep. in the scheme. Mm -hmm. You've already done some things in that area. And now it's a question of what's still left to be done to get those rorts out. I think we've certainly started to tackle the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we've now put in tens of millions of dollars extra in policing resources, in data collection resources, in getting an idea on who's doing what, building up our complaint system. We've got a long way to go. Um, most service providers are, are brilliant. Let me be clear. Uh, but there are some service providers who are either willfully criminal or who are over-servicing or under-servicing or overcharging. We don't have a lot of complaints about undercharging, I might add. Um, no, we've got measures even coming in the next couple of months about price gouging. 
The whole spectrum of what I would call unethical behaviour is absolutely a priority. I think if we can straighten up the waste, the over-servicing, the uh, overcharging, fraudulent behaviour, and we have a common system of registration, albeit based on risk, so it's not one-size-fits-all registration. I think if we also are able to observe how people's accounts are going in real time, if they're being depleted quicker than expected, I think in three to five years, we can have a really good system, but it's taken a while to get us into this level of mess, so it's going to take a little while to get out of it. But presumably, cracking down on the rotting should take less than Oh, that yeah, time no, no, we're, no. Yes, that's one of those things I think I said in an earlier answer to you. Some things will take longer, some things will be quicker. We're absolutely committed to putting more resources in right now. Next week, I'll have more to say about price gouging and what we're going to do. I mean, I have on my iPhone a message that someone sent me, um, and it's a. Um, Quite shocking, really, but I think it's illustrative of what we see around the place where a lady has sent me a message of an ad saying it's a picture of a meal replacement shake, but it's marked, I love NDIS, NDIS meal replacement shakes. This is just a meal replacement shake with the NDIS badge on it and charging you more. So we can get on with a lot of that stuff a lot quicker, but there's some really exciting innovation which I'll be talking about. Has the uh, rotting issue, though, taken longer than you anticipated? I think the problem was slightly bigger than I'd hoped. Um, we've got to skill up. We've got to get people talking. We've got different agencies talking to each other. But no, I'm confident that we've doubled the number of investigations that were going on than were in place before I became the minister. We've got more staff than we've had before. And we are investigating more amounts of money than before. And we're getting more people convicted. But it takes some time. You've got to go through the evidence process. That's the sort of whack-a-mole approach to fraud. If we see it, we're going to hit it hard. But now what I've got to do is move to the stage, and this review gives me the platform. If we can see systemic flaws in the way that the NDIS is set up, we can shut the gate so the crooks can't get in. Now, you're obviously very careful of your language to reassure people that they're not facing being thrown off the scheme. But will there be losers out of these reforms? Some of the bad businesses are going to be losers. Some of the people who are not valuating the system, they're going to be losers. But clients. But, but going to participants, this system will mean that if you need support, that's what you're going to get, be it within the NDIS or outside the NDIS. What we're going to do is remove this debate about are you in or are you out to a continuum of support. Now, that's going to take a while to create. And I know some listeners will be saying, where's the workforce going to come from? Good question. How fed income of the states? Good question. But having said that, we're just going to work on it because there's only two options, ignore the problems or deal with it. And that's what we're going to do. Well, let's just go to those questions. Where is the workforce going to come from? Well, I think probably five or six areas. I've been having a separate, what I call a dialogue with unions, with uh, the major employers, with also disability advocates in the room, all in the same room. Um, and we're talking about how do we make it easier for people to be attracted to work in the disability sector and how do we make it easier for them to stay in the sector. We've already lifted wages north for 15% for disability workers, so that's good. Um, the workers of the future will be encouraging school leavers and people going into uni and TAFE to think about a career in caring, which perhaps hasn't always been encouraged as a career. It's been stigmatised. I also, and we're also talking throughout the sector, how do we look at workers who might be in another industry, who if that industry might be looking for a change. Uh, the third cohort who I think is still promising is we still need visa workers, but that's a sort of, no, no, no points for working that out. Uh, 
but the two other groups I'm keen to get in addition to those first three is carers, family carers. People who've been family carers actually are really good at the job uh, and some of them might want to have have that opportunity to career would make it easier for them. But the final group who are arguably the most important is people with disability. We've got to be a lot better at encouraging people with disability to think about working in the disability sector. Now, I'm practising what I preach at the National Disability Insurance Agency. 17% of the workforce there report as having a disability. But So that's where workforce can come from. We're lucky that the government's also funding a lot of free TAFE and some of those jobs are in the care economy. As the schemes are reformed, are you going to need, in net terms, more oh, yeah. or fewer workers? This is a growth area. The scheme... When we achieve our sustainable target of 8%, that's 8% growth per year. And just let the listeners you know, digest that number. What that means is a scheme which is $50 billion will grow by 8%, which is another $4 billion. There are more jobs, there'll be more participants on the scheme. But what we want to do is have more choices for Australians with disability other than making this the only choice. You mentioned that a lot of children with uh, more minor developmental problems will be catered for by state services. But how can we be sure that the states will adequately step up their school systems, for example, are already stretched? How will they be able yeah. to build this into those school systems? Very fair question. First of all, the states have said they they want to do this. That's a start because they haven't said that as clearly in the past about the NDIS as they have done yesterday. But they got a lot of money and promises of money to yeah. say yes. We did okay too, though. Like, we've also got the states... have The states currently, uh, under the deals they negotiated with the Liberal federal government, they would put in their original contribution and then they would increase it by 4% per annum. But the scheme's been increasing 17 18% per annum, so the states didn't have to pay any more than that. The states agreed yesterday to increase that growth factor by to 8% from 4%. Without bewildering people listening with numbers, that's billions of dollars of extra money from the states contributing to the scheme. The beauty of that is if the states are paying more into the NDIS, they're going to take a greater interest in making sure that not everyone heads to the NDIS, aren't they? So there's a bit of self-interest there. But I think, without being too cynical, the reality is that there was genuine buy-in from the premiers uh, and they know what they've committed to in terms of greater engagement. But the disability sector will keep us all honest. They're pretty ferocious and tough. Um, the other thing is none of the changes we want to do within the scheme are going to be quick or overnight either. We want to do uh, improvements to the scheme administration concurrently with building foundational supports. But are the states going to be going into the future fairly closely monitored to, to keep the them up to the mark? Yeah, we will. Yes, we have to. And one thing I've discovered about reimmersing myself in NDIS world is not a lot of people understand how it actually works. And to be fair to a lot of people, it is complex. We've had more discussion about the NDIS seriously in the last 12 months, I feel, in the last 15, than we've seen in the first nine years. So I think as people work out, they read the review, the review's proposition at its core is simple. We accept the scheme shouldn't just flabbily and wastefully increase double-digit percentages every year, but what this review has said very clearly to government is sure, we think you can improve the administration of the scheme, but some of the money that is gained from improving the administration of the scheme needs to be reinvested outside the scheme, meaning that it's not life or death if whether or not you get into the scheme. Now, you've mentioned the uh, 
goal of getting the the cost down to an annual 8% mm. rise by 2026. Mm-hmm. Are you still on track for that? Are you confident you can deliver that? Yeah, I'm confident, uh, but it's going to require a lot of work. We're not going to be at 8% this year or next year, that's for sure. But I can see some green shoots. Uh, in, indeed, with the changes that we've already done, the first time it appears that the number of adults who are not autistic coming into the scheme has uh, flattened. We are seeing also some reduction in the rate of growth of home and living expenses, the supported independent living program. Very early days. I wouldn't be, um, I wouldn't be hanging up my uh, spurs yet, but there are improvements. This is a joint effort. It's a joint effort, and I've got to now engage with the coalition to see if I can convince them about the legislation. Do you think you can? Well, the Greens have sort of they're right. They're just sort of at the moment just banging on and saying any change is evil and bad, and that attitude doesn't help people with disability. That's the sort of lazy path of everything's too hard, so let's just sit on our haunches and do nothing. I think the Liberals and the Nats are listening. I think they are open. They probably feel a bit bruised because we gave them a hard time for their reforms, but their reforms were inferior. You know, that's. But I also think the Libs and the Nats know deep down that. The disability sector and labour, the disability sector trusts labour. So we can, there's a lot of goodwill. So we'll just work it through. But the Libs are going to be crucial to our legislation. I acknowledge that. But you know what? To make the NDI successful and to help make Australia a more inclusive society, everyone matters. The states, the Liberals, the Greens, uh, most importantly, people with disability, but all of us. I mean, disability is any of us. It's universal. You can get it at birth. You can get it through the DNA lottery code you have or in the blink of an eye, you know, in a swimming injury or on a country road. So it's a universal challenge and people shouldn't be written off because they have an impairment. So it's on all of us to improve the game. So just finally, the review engaged deeply with the sector. It's made a point of uh, saying that and outlining that. What sort of reaction are you getting in the wake of the release of the report? It's very early days. The first reaction is that I think people accept that the process had some integrity. They were very good to do it, but some of the leaders of the disability movement from past times accepted my uh, invitation to be on the panel. Doogie Heard, Chair of the ACT uh, Council of People with Disability. Kevin Cox, Queenslander, uh, Anti-Discrimination Commissioner. Judy Brewer, she's chaired just about everybody in autism and research going around. Uh, Kirsten Dean involved with every Australian counts in the first iteration. Bruce Bonner, Haiti, you know, in many ways he is the uh, one of the fathers of the uh, NDIS. And Lisa Paul, you know, she's a distinguished public servant. These are people who are independent. They just want the best. Um, I, I think the disability community thinks the process is okay. But what I think they really want to hear and what I'm going to keep telling them is you are central to whatever happens. I get nothing about us without us. Um, I want to say to the autism community of Australia that there's a lot of misreporting. It's autism's real. The diagnosis is a legitimate. You shouldn't be singled out. We just want to focus on need, not particular groups. So we'll work together. I think there'll be some resistance. There'll be some people who build a pretty cushy, lucrative, multi-million dollar NDIS business who might say, oh, well, Bill's coming along and he's upsetting our apple cart. But for people who work in the industry, there'll be more jobs, better quality jobs uh, and more recognition. For participants, their interests just got to be paramount. For families, certainty, transparency, equity, consistency. Anyway, I think the initial reactions are okay, but 
It's an important conversation. Today is a direction setting day, but it ain't every detail and it's not every bump on the way and not every step on the way. Bill Shorten, obviously a very big job ahead. Thank you for talking with us today and running us through the scheme. Thank you to my producer, Ben Roper. That's all for this podcast. We'll be back again with another one before Christmas. Goodbye for now. Thank you. Our theme music is by Lee Rosevier. You can find more podcasts from The Conversation on our website at theconversation.com.